Please join me in the prayer for elimination. Let us pray. Holy God, author of all we have, to whom belongs both the first word and the last, open us to your spirit, that as the scripture is spoken and your word proclaimed, we may be comforted, convinced, and changed to give greater glory to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson comes to us today from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week uh, begins the stewardship series. And if you've hung out around uh, churches for very long, anytime the pastor says the word stewardship, you hold on to your wallet, right? Because you never know what might happen. Yeah, you know, the early service didn't like that joke either. All right. Um, As we start thinking about uh, stewardship, Uh, about the importance of uh, thinking uh, about the future, um, it's important uh, to get a grasp of what the church leadership feels uh, the direction that God's calling us to go. Uh, The church uh, leadership has been um, discerning that God is calling us over a three-year period to raise a generation in faith. That'd be really easy for you to go, oh yeah, I've heard about that one. That's where the church builds a family life center or uh, remodels the preschool uh, or decides a, a new youth center should be purchased, right? That, that usually vision in churches translates into uh, bricks and sticks. But I think for us, as we discern raise a generation in faith, that it means something different Uh, It means equipping and empowering not just our children and youth, but also their parents to be able to do disciple-making, faith formation at home. Uh, And and let's not leave out uh, grandparents either. Uh, When you look at the statistics, the uh, standard um, normal uh, nuclear family with uh, two parents and biological children is no longer the uh, norm. Uh, Actually, everything else has become the norm. Uh, The norm is uh, grandparents taking care of children. Uh, The norm is divorced parents sharing custody uh, week in or week out. Uh, The norm is something other than what we've imagined from past history. What does it mean for us as a church, not just to be a turnip? Have you heard that phrase before? Some churches are turnips. Uh, They are happy when people turn up, uh, that there's nothing else expected of them, that if you open the doors and turn on the lights, somebody will turn up. 
and we've had church. I think here in this place, church is more than just an hour of sitting uh, to be, and listening to beautiful music or being entertained by a sermon uh, or having an opportunity to do your grocery list during the prayers of the people. I, I think church for y'all, for us, for this place means something more. I'm reminded that in the last two sanctuaries that y'all have built, the cross is always outside the windows, reminding you that though what happens in here is holy and powerful, what God calls us to do is to go find Jesus out in the community and to work side by side, bringing about the uh, kingdom. So today we begin with this kind of idea. What is church about? Is church about us being holy or us just being nice. I think for the last 20 or 30 years, the mainline church in America has tried really hard just to be nice, you know, just to get uh, some people to show up in the door, to be people who um, teach good manners and good life skills. If there's a biblical story that we can slap on a practical moment, we will. But I think that being nice is not exactly all that God has called us to be. God's called us to be something different, uh, to be holy, uh, to allow the change that God has worked in us uh, to work further than just the surface of our skin. Uh, I read about a, uh, read about a um, charity hockey game that was held a few years ago uh, up in New York City. The New York City cops and the New York City firefighters decided to have a charity hockey match uh, there uh, in New York City. Um, they uh, did a wonderful job. This is kind of a regular tradition for them. But at some point, it ceased to be about the charity game, and it got a little serious. In fact, it got so serious that there was a bench-clearing brawl uh, that had the game suspended for 25 minutes while the referees restored order uh, it took them that long to get all the sticks and gloves uh, that littered the event uh, back on the right players' bodies. Uh, eventually, the New York Police Department won eight to five, but as the players walked out, it seemed like all of them had been in a horrible brawl. Not one of them didn't have a, a bruise or a black eye or something. In, in fact, when you look up the YouTube video of this charity event, you can hear fans in the stands uh, screaming um, not very nice things about the other side. It's amazing, right? Uh, values are not uh, taught, they're caught. And here was this great moment for a charity hockey game that all of a sudden became about something else. You know, God wants to work a, a transformation in us that is not just on the surface. It's not just on Sunday mornings. It's not just being a nice person, but finding out what it means to be holy. Our scripture passage today uh, comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Um, and I don't know, you've probably heard the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And you've probably heard about the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. But have you heard about the great requirement? See, this I like to think of as the great requirement. Micah 6, 6 through 8. What does the Lord require of you? 
but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime someone says there's a requirement, I kind of bristle, right? I I don't like this idea of uh, there is no reason for you to think, just let us tell you how to think. I've never been the straight A student. I've never been the one that does well with requirements. I'm the one that wants to think about it and make my own choice. So if you say God has a great requirement, well, I hope it's the best two out of three because I may not be doing so well on the test. But requirement is really a strange word to use in this uh, scripture. When we look back at the Hebrew, we find that the word underneath the English word requirement is the verb derash. Uh, derash really doesn't work well with requirement. You see, derash is about the um, yearning and longing for something. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, the child requires the love of the mother. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, the flower requires the rain and the sunshine. Do you get the idea that I'm talking about here? It's not that your teacher requires the term paper to be turned in on Monday, but it's that the lovers seek out each other's affection. They require it. A shepherd seeks out the lost sheep in the same vein of requiring it, yearning for it, looking for it. So when scripture says that, what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord yearn and uh, hope for in us? What, what does the Lord need from us? It's to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Notice it's not that God insists for you to be a member, you better do these three things, but rather it is a yearning, it is a desire, it is a hope of God for us. God's inviting us. Uh, to be sharers, to build a deeper, richer kind of community. When you look at justice, I don't know about you, but when I read that biblical word justice, is it the, um, let's see, the statue of blind justice with the scales? Uh, is it some other idea of whose justice? Is it the Democrats? Is it the Republicans? Whose justice is God asking us to look into? The Hebrew word under this is misfat. Misfat is um, the idea of making sure, not that the world is fair and flat, but that everybody has enough. It was really frustrated when I was looking around this week for an illustration of biblical justice. I came upon a clip by Louis C.K. Now I wanna say right now, don't watch Louis C.K. He's a foul-mouthed atheist comic and you just have no good reason watching him. But I found this clip and uh, it, you're not gonna laugh at that. Okay, um, and this clip is of him um, parenting his two daughters. And he gives one daughter a beautiful doll, like a Barbie doll. And the other daughter looks over and says, why don't I get one? And he says, the world's not fair. Not everybody gets everything that everybody else has. And she says, but it's not fair that she gets a doll and I don't. And he says, look, this is how the world works. The only time you should be worried about what, what, what someone else has is whether they have enough. 
Isn't it annoying that a foul-mouthed atheist comic gets the gospel message better than we do? That justice in the biblical idea is not about making everyone equal or about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or the one who dies with the most toys wins, but rather biblical justice is the idea that we better make sure that everybody has enough. We read scripture, uh, what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to love mercy. Now that's another one of those strange translations. It really should be chesed, which is the uh, love of the covenant. It's the love that God has for Abraham. It is the love that God has for Noah and the people, that covenantal love, that recognition that I may not like everything that you do, but I have covenanted, I have promised, I have vowed to love you forever. And lastly, humility. Isn't it hilarious that in America, we're gonna talk about humility. Humility is this strange beast, this strange idea. And isn't it hilarious that the one that's gonna teach you about humility is the same guy that stands up for 20 minutes every week and talks for God. That's the humblest person in the room, right? No, you're not gonna laugh at that one either. All right, humility. Humility's not Miss Manners' uh, demure shrinking from accepting what happens well. And it's also not this kind of strange give it away humility that nothing is ever your responsibility. Humility is easily this. Humility is that recognizing that what got you here wasn't all you. And if you're going to go from this place on, it's not going to be you that makes it happen but that rather it is God working in you. Humility is knowing that it's not you that got you this far. You could say it's a rising tide raises all boats, but it's not that invisible hand of capitalism that raises all boats, but rather the deep love and grace of Jesus Christ made real in the world through churches like this that are a rising tide that raises all boats. Humility, the real, realization that what got us here uh, isn't just us. And what will get us further isn't just us either. To raise a generation in faith, it's to teach these kinds of concepts, uh, the beauty of humility, justice, and uh, kindness, uh, the importance of covenantal love. You know, oftentimes people say that uh, Christian youth uh, in our world today, not, not our youth group, Lisa Michelle's got them learning all about Jesus. But some of the youth in the world that we uh, see today have such a deep faith that it goes beyond words. I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. I tried that in seminary too. Uh, it didn't get me a good grade on the paper either. That in some ways we have watered down faith in such a way that there are no real hard concepts to talk about. Uh, there's no recognition of the uh, living out of the Apostles' Creed. We seem to only worry about God when we have to make a decision about right or wrong. It's the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other from Saturday morning cartoons all over again. And in the end, we don't really make the right choice, but we make the choice that makes us feel good inside. But we're not supposed to always feel good. It's one thing to feel right. It's another thing to feel wrong. And then it's different just to feel good. And in some ways, we have taught the world around us that God has wound up the clock of this world and left it ticking until a time that he'll come back. But the reality is that God hasn't wandered away. God isn't far off. And God is concerned about more than just whether we make the right decision or the wrong decision and whether we feel good. God is deeply interested in salvation history. God's deeply interested 
in you. God's not making great requirements for us to follow, but rather wooing you. Uh, are you familiar with that vocabulary word, woo? I first heard it when my grandparents talked about how they fell into love with each other. Uh, my grandmother smiled and said, your grandfather, he wooed me into a relationship with him. God's interested in wooing us into that deep relationship, not so that God can put another notch on his belt, not so that we can say we have one more member at the church, but so that we can recognize that there is a better way to live life together. You know, uh, we like to say that we all came into this world alone and that we all go out of this world alone, but people inside the church have realized that there is a friend, there is a family, there is a way, and there is a life. And we don't have to struggle on our own, but rather we can find life together. I want to close with one uh, interesting comment. Uh, Daniel Gilbert, he's a Harvard-educated psychologist and researcher, wrote a best-selling book called Stumbling on Happiness. He refers to it as the sentence. Are you familiar with the sentence? The sentence, he says, is that uh, every researcher, every scientist, every professor has to wrestle with. It's the sentence that says, the human is the only animal that blank. And then you fill it in. The human is the only animal that blank. And you fill it in. Gilbert says that the sentence gets finished this way. And he's just a secular psychologist that doesn't go to church. He says, the human is the only animal that thinks about the future. Do you think about the future? Do you long for what might come? Do you dream what God might do in our community? It's interesting, the average adult thinks about the future 12% of the day. Thinking about the future, what might be? I mean, some of us imagine events far into the future about how life might be different or how life might be good. If you dream any more than an hour into the future, you're head and shoulders above any other animal. What do we long for? What do we look for? When was the last time someone challenged you about a real hope? a real transformation, not just another building campaign, not just another attempt uh, to attract a few more members. When was the last time someone challenged you to dream of a real hope, of a real call, of a real challenge that might bring transformation, not just to you, but to your family and your church and your community? We have a world that is self-centered, that only does the things that are good for them. What if Chapelwood was a place where we raise a generation of faith, where we equip children, youth, parents, and grandparents to form people in the faith, not when they just come to Sunday school or grow groups, but wherever they encounter people thirsty to learn more about Jesus. I hope that you'll come and join me over the next two weeks as we talk about, not about how you need to raise your uh, tithe so that we can pay the light bill, but rather that we might share what God has given to us so that we might, with God's help, raise a generation in faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, so friends, um, what is the opportunity that's placed before you today uh, to head out into the world, to not be nice, but to figure out what it means to be holy? Because God yearns for you and me to make sure that everyone has enough 
to love those we've covenanted and vowed to love, even though some days we may not like them, and to certainly do it with humility. Uh, Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.